you've reached Hotline Design Podcast. How may we help you? And welcome back to Hotline Design Podcast. In this week's episode, we're talking to a longtime friend and first-time guest, the fantastic Mr. Phil Sayer. He'll be sharing and filling you in on his experiences and top tips about strategic career pivots in the workplace. But before we jump in, ladies, I have to know, how have your weeks been? Hello, hello. My past few weeks have been very much focused on family. I went home two weeks ago. I stayed there for a week. And then when I came back, I brought my mom and my sister with me. So I showed them the joys of Manchester. How about you two? That sounds so sweet and wholesome. I've also been spending time with my family, but it's my furry son, my cat. So I've been cuddling (laughs) with him a lot and bringing him to the vet, but just generally spending a lot of time at home. I think work-wise, we've been doing a lot of unmoderated user testing. So it's been quite fun to go through the video questions that people record themselves answering and just trying to look for patterns in that data. So it's been really interesting at work as well. Nice. I love hearing about wholesome family updates. I just think that those are the best ones, whether the family be human or feline. It's just so good to hear. So yeah, we'd like to welcome to the pod a true Renaissance man, our friend and yours, Mr. Phil Sayer. Thank you, Lauren. Hi, everyone. Really honored to be on your wonderful podcast and well done for continuing through. And I'm always looking forward to your content. So it's really lovely to be here. This is such a long time coming as well. Like we've had this in the works for a year. So I'm so glad that you're finally here. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. So Phil, we always start off by asking our guests this question, but how would you describe your role? So it's a great question. I would say right now I identify as a product management and UX consultant. Reason being is I've come from engineering. So I did an engineering degree at university and I decided towards the end of it that actually, I mean, engineering is an amazing field. Absolutely. And what I found was that what I really wanted was to get closer to the business side of things because there is a huge amount that is really interesting to me that surrounds the kind of the engineering science. So I went and spent a few years working in projects as a business analyst and designing data dashboards, doing data engineering in the cloud, IT solution architecture, even machine learning engineering. And then following some thinking, which I'm sure we'll get on to talk about, I decided to pivot my career to get even closer to the customer. So it was the business and then I realized, yeah, actually even closer to the customer and actually bring more craft into my work. And so I decided to return to my design roots and spend more time in the kind of UX design and product space, which is what brought me to where I am now. You kind of said we were going to touch on like the process of you getting there. So let's jump straight in. What was the process of making this decision to do your strategic career pivot? Yeah, and the key word you use there is decision, because what I think it's worth talking about is obviously there's a huge amount of content. And you've also talked on the podcast before about how to actually go through the process of researching companies, applying for jobs, going through interviews, and it's all really fantastic. And so what I want to do is to make sure I'm not stepping on the toes of your previous work is actually talk a lot more about the very early stages, which I found to be the most challenging in terms of being able to come to that decision about how to pivot, what, why to pivot and actually how to do it. So it was a very gradual process. Earlier are we talking? We are talking about basically the point that I reached a few years ago where I said, this is really great. What I'm doing has a huge amount 
of impact on the companies we work with. So I was working with various clients. And the feeling I got, though, is that whilst it was important, whilst there was, I was actually delivering value, right? I mean, I was doing a good job from the Mm -hmm. feedback I was getting. I didn't have my heart fully in it. And that was problematic to me because I've always found it really important to have a real deep engagement with the work I'm doing because you really bring your full self to it and you will always go the extra mile when you have your full self in that kind of role. So that was the point I'd reached and that's why I started to think about, okay, it feels like something isn't 100% as good as it can be. What can I do? What is the change I need to make? How big, how small in order to get to a point where I feel more engaged and driven to really develop myself in my career. So that's how early. And so this is the thing is that I was at that stage and the reason I think it's so important to talk about it is that I easily could have just settled and decided that no, this is just how it is. So I'm sure everyone has come across Gallup. So Gallup does a lot of research into people's engagement at work and they have a whole system called Strengths Finder that you might have come across. Their 2022 survey came out. They found that only 21% of people are actually engaged at work. So that's four, four fifths of people go to work every day and they might be doing amazing work, but they do not feel engaged. Why is that important to actually be engaged? The, this is the kind of the question I was trying to answer because I felt in a similar position. I thought, does it matter? Does it actually matter that I'm not as engaged as I want to be, given that I'm getting good feedback on what I'm doing? And I'm sure it's the case for many people who are at work, but not fully engaged. So I did a lot of digging into this to try and figure out how to try and break this little challenge apart. There are lots of frameworks out there. There's a huge amount you can read about in this area. But what you'll come across a lot is this idea of following your passion. Now, you'll find that in a huge amount of places, but it's not necessarily the best advice for multiple reasons. And I won't go into those reasons today. There's, again, a good number of kind of resources out there. But from, again, a numbers perspective, a different piece of research found that 80% of people don't actually know what they're passionate about. And so this is the position I find myself in. As I said, okay, if I need to follow my passion, what are my passions about? I love fonts, right? I love structuring information. I like giving presentations. But there's just a long list of things and there are resources that try to tell you how to put those together and group them and map them to jobs and things. But the real trouble I found is that actually people can be really great at a lot more things than they realize. Like this is the thing I really try to stick on is people talk about having a purpose. And when they say, oh, I have found my purpose. This is the role. This is the work I'm doing. This is truly what I was born to do. I actually came to a very different conclusion is that engagement at work is really a function of two things. It's how much time you're willing to spend learning and how you get how much you want to learn about that field. And this is the thing is if you're doing great work, but you find that actually you want to progress in your career, but actually learning and spending the time doing that is something that really doesn't excite you, then that's problematic because something that I've, underestimated on leaving university after four years of intense study and full-time education, like many thousands of people, is that I completely underestimated how much continuous learning I'd need to do. And so to actually leave university and say, okay, I have one purpose, I just need to find it. First of all, that completely un- that completely ignores how much learning you need to continue doing and how much your interests might change because of that. 
but also when people talk about having a single purpose and actually ending up being able to do so many more things than they realize the how do these start to actually work out what direction am i going to go in the best definition i actually found of purpose has come from someone called mel robbins who among many things is a motivational speaker and many of you might have heard of her definition of purpose which i think i agree with the most is to be able to share your true self and to be fully seen and so the question that i was asking myself is okay there's lots of different things i could do what is it in terms of my next career pivot that would allow me to share more of my true self and to be fully seen. And so coming back to exactly what I was doing, some people management and mentoring, I really enjoyed that. And that was one aspect I knew I wanted to continue doing. Whereas another aspect, which was like really technical machine learning engineering, whilst super important, it just wasn't for me 100%. And I knew that was a thing I needed to bring down and pick up something else. So that was how I started going about working out the pivot. I find that so fascinating and clearly you've done so much research in the space. Just really honestly mind blown at how articulate that was and how the decision it was to go about thinking about what it is you wanted to do next. And yeah, I just thought that was such a great example of problem thinking or design thinking at its finest, maybe gathering mm -hmm. evidence of why you didn't feel like you were suited for your previous role and going about considering lots of different options and trying to find the right next step for you. Yeah, so I, I just thought that was so interesting to hear. In terms of how you went about making the switch, what were your next steps after that when you came to the decision that you wanted to go along more with the business and the UX side? Yeah, so that was the thing is that once, it's exactly as you said, is that once I had reached a level of clarity where I felt like this was the right direction to go in, and yeah, you talked about designing your life, it's something you talked about in a previous episode, fantastic book, and so what, I found was that, okay, I feel like this is the direction I want to go into. And I had already kept up to, with the work that another part of my company, which actually does X design, and I kept up with the people who were in there. It was an area I just found interesting for a long time, whilst I was doing more of the back end kind of IT work. And so for me, it was an internal pivot that I did rather than moving to an external company. So the steps that I went through will be more about making an internal one. But there were lots of similarities to if you wanted to just find a completely different company that was more in the direction you wanted, was going to allow you to do the work that was more in the direction of interest. So first step, regardless of the company, if you're doing an internal transfer, is talk to your line manager. So either the person you report to, or it might be more of a, a kind of a pastoral role, whomever is responsible for your feedback and progression in the company you need to speak to them first. It's really important to have them with you on that journey of moving. Even if, and this wasn't the case for me, luckily, but even if the work you're doing right now, you really, really dislike and you really dislike your, the, your line manager, if you are in that position, still talk to them first because it, it will make your life much harder if you are trying to sidestep your way into a new role, a different part of the company. So it really does make everything much more much more solid if you actually really engage with them from the very beginning so having then talked to them the next important thing was actually talking to the area i wanted to join because at the end of the day it was the same company but just because i had a track record 
within that company doesn't mean they were simply going to hop me straight into that area without asking any further questions. I really still had to treat it like like an interview for a completely new role. And many companies will treat it as such. It's You do have to think about it as if it's a brand new job. And so making your case is still really important. So that's what I did. I just put together all of the evidence I could amass from my past to demonstrate that if they were to bring me into that new area, yes, it's a pivot, but they're not starting from zero. I have got foundational understanding of the work that I would be doing, the kind of process that they follow in, in our case, it's a consultancy, so with their clients. And so it helped that they knew me in the sense that I worked in the company and there were certain metrics that the company uses and therefore they could understand that. But in reality, that there was no guarantee to it. I still had to treat it as a full-on set of interviews. And that's what it was. It was, it was a set of interviews. And so once we've gone through then the administrative process of actually making the transfer, the, the key thing, of course, is just don't burn bridges unnecessarily. I mean, especially if you're in the same company and you'll never, you never know how much you might want to reach out to the people you used to work with, maybe for a piece of work that's going on, maybe just because you want to bounce an idea off them. So thank your former managers, thank your former colleagues, because you'll have picked up so much from them, even at the stage where you didn't feel as super engaged in the work. So it's just important to take stock and acknowledge that every day that you spent in the old part of your business was still really valuable. I think the latter point in particular, such solid advice to not burn bridges and to have a really good working relationship with anyone you've worked with in the past. I think sometimes it can be tempting. I know I've been in situations where maybe I didn't always feel energised by work I previously did or I didn't always mm. get along with people I worked with. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's just setting you up for the future. If you continue to maintain those good relationships, people might be willing to write you a recommendation in the future, which can help you with your next mm. gig. Or I know I've definitely been tempted sometimes to just be like, you know what, screw it. I'm coming to the end of this project. It's fine if I don't give in my all. But then I just realized actually that moving into the next role, I've pretty much been hired to do the same thing. And so really keeping up those good relationships with people in your previous project or your previous gig and having an outstanding piece of work is so important because you always need to draw on that experience from your past and bring it forward into any other roles you might take on in the future. So I just wanted to say plus one, plus a hundred to that. Lovely. I'll do a plus one on that as well because I've definitely been one to be like, whatever, I'm never going to see these people again. <laughs> I'm out. And yeah, it's not like worked out well but there's also another point that you made that I would like to add a plus one to and that is the idea of an internal pivot because I think UX is and design actually in general is notoriously difficult to get into there's like when you start from scratch you obviously need a portfolio where do you get one you have to do a lot of work to create one on your own there's boot camps and stuff people think about boot camps people think about internships people think about all of those things but if you're already in a company that internal pivot might actually be the quickest way for you to do a pivot and it's probably not just design it's probably any other area and I just wanted to highlight that as a great point as well yeah when it comes to areas that are difficult to get into there will probably be 
people in your company, like your manager was, that will champion your change and make that much easier than going to another company and being like, oh, I'm interested in this new field. I have no projects related to it, but I just want to get into it. It's not going to be as easy. So yeah, I think that was a, a great point as well. Cool. So related to your pivot, what have been your biggest learning so far in making your decision? Great question. So I think the biggest one is it is important to have a plan. So, and a plan can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. And some people really love creating plans that are super detailed. So some people really love the idea of answering the question, what do you want to do in the next five years, the next two years, and the next one year, and the next six months? And for some people that is too detailed and doesn't give them the confidence that a plan is supposed to give them. The challenge I found is that it's still important to have a plan of some kind. And for me, at least what worked was a concept that I came across by a guy called Clayton Christensen, who, if you don't know, he's the originator of the term disrupting an in industry. And so he, it's one of the books that I recommend is he came up with the term called the concept of a deliberate versus an emergent strategy. And it does tie in very much to the concept behind designing your life of having quick and low cost experiments that kind of help you pivot as you go. Your deliberate strategy is, you know, what right now, based on the information that I've gathered is going to be the direction I'm going to take. And then committing to that up until the point where you get new information and you decide actually the direction I'm taking might need a small tweak and that also effectively becomes your emergent strategy. So the whole idea is have a direction, have a good idea of the thing it is that you want to achieve and the rough path you want to take to get there, but never put on the blinkers when you're doing that. Keep abreast of what it is that is happening around you, how your industry is changing with time and how your interests are changing with time. So it's going to be very much the case that, and I knew this going in, is that until I'm fully immersed in this new area that I want to go into of UX, I am not going to know 100% exactly how it works and exactly how the kind of work differs on, depending on your client, depending on your specialism. And so I knew that, okay, this is my current direction. I want to go into the UX space, but it is probably going to change with time as I spend more time in there. And that's exactly what's happened. And there's nothing wrong with that because you're, you're inevitably taking in new information and it would be the wrong thing to say, but I said I would be at this point in six months time and then one year's time and then two years time because that was the goal I set and that's what I'm going to stick to. Things change. Our industries change all the time. So having a plan is important. And for me, having that distinction between my deliberate and my emergent strategy was important. The other thing, as I mentioned before, I didn't feel as engaged with the topic as I wished I was. And so I was trying to reconcile why is this, why does this feel so visceral, this need to want this real desire to be as engaged with this topic beyond the level I'm currently at. And the term jumping on the bandwagon came to mind because you, you talk to a lot of people and they say, oh, I'd love to get into this space. I'd love to get into that space. It's very up and coming. There's lots of work in this area. And that's fantastic. But it's really important to just pause and consider your motivation because what might be the case is that let's take something like machine learning you are drawn to that regardless of how popular or unpopular it is or you might be drawn to it because it is popular and because it is up and coming and because it's a well-paid industry there's only going to be more work in that area 
those are two very different motivations, very different motivations. And it comes down to intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation, which is an interesting topic in itself. But if you really trace it back, jumping on the bandwagon to me is another way of saying we call it FOMO. If you really trace it back, I believe it is a very visceral fear of abandonment. Right. And that might feel a bit too deep to go in to about a topic about making career pivots. But bear with me on this one is that a lot of the things that really can make us feel this very innate sense of discomfort often comes back to a fear of being abandoned. And therefore, if we go back thousands of years, if you were abandoned, you died. That was it. You weren't given food, you weren't given shelter, you weren't cared for by your community. And so it is very much built into humans to really respond with urgency to whenever that feeling comes up. And I believe jumping on the bandwagon, FOMO, these are modern incarnations of that feeling. This was an important thing to think about because a lot of people might jump into an industry and really want to progress in it because they want to stay relevant. And that's an important thing, but you don't need to make it the keystone of your work if you don't love it for its own sake, which is more intrinsic motivation as opposed to extrinsic. And that was important because, yes, machine learning work, there will only be more jobs in that area. But it doesn't mean that the jobs that exist today will disappear necessarily. It might replace some jobs and it's worth being aware of that. But there are anything which requires human intuition, creativity, working with people. These are all key parts of UX. Those are not going to go away. Oh, and if they are going to go away, it's going to take a mighty great deal of work to build any kind of artificial intelligence system that can replace humans in that complex kind of work. So that was an important thing to think about is where is my motivation for staying in the area I'm in or moving into a new area actually coming from? And the last big learning I found was this is not going to be your last job. So there's a book called The Hundred Year Life, which came out a few years ago that I really recommend. It's not about career pivots in the day-to-day -day practical sense, but it starts with the point that people born after 1997 are more likely than not to live to 100. And so what does that actually mean for the traditional idea of a career, right? I mean, it's, it starts to become a little bit mad that you would have one career for the entirety of your 100 years of life. So this is probably not going to be your last job. It probably won't even be your last career. So don't feel it has a real permanence to it that you'll never be able to change. I think those are the big learnings. Definitely. But, but Phil, I want to retire at 50. There are ways to do that, but I won't go into them here. <laughs> That's a topic for another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And Phil, it's just amazing to see how thoughtful and reflective you've been at looking at not only your plan, but doing the even deeper work of getting down into the nitty gritty motivation. Like it's just so impressive to see that you haven't only done the work, you've done all the work. So it's just <laughs> amazing to see how thoughtful this transition has been. And speaking of something we will never abandon, we've got this week's Hotline Design Hotline caller. Hey, Hotline Design Hotline. My name's Pip. I'm a long time listener, but it's my first time calling. Um, I'm trying to move into UX and I want to know if you've got any helpful resources. Thanks. Thanks for calling in, Pip. Really important question is, yeah, where do you go from here? So there's a couple books that I mentioned, just to touch on them briefly again, is the one by Clayton Christensen, James Olworth, and Karen Dillon is called How Will You Measure Your Life? 
which sounds like a big topic, but it does cover life, love, work, and actually the particularly the last chapter, I won't say anything about it, but the last chapter was particularly striking. It's a very powerful read, and I think it's an incredibly well-written book because one of the things that's brilliant about Clayton Christensen and what made him so well-known in the business world is that he applies business theories to everything. He doesn't use anecdotal evidence where he can. So it's really quite fascinating, his approach to some of these really big questions. So I really recommend that one. The 100-Year Life I mentioned by Linda Gratton and Andrew J. Scott radical approach for planning multiple careers and also how to balance out the multiple areas of your life like having a significant other raising children which today we try and do all at the same time when people start living to 100 and beyond there might not be the need to really think about it the same way we have to date and so the book really takes an interesting approach so it's a really long-term view but i do recommend reading it these are all some really great resources and I know what I'll be reading for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, on my end, I'd suggest actually there are so many free resources online. I know that I was spending a lot of time on YouTube watching these UX, day in the life UX type videos. There's this lady called Chun Buns, I think who is a UX designer based in the States. And I thought it was very revealing as she went through her day of what a UX designer does, just for understanding the day-to-day -day sort of like nitty-gritty things that UX designers do. So I'll keep mine very short because Phil has done a great job at talking all about career pivots and everything. I like to talk about this book a lot and I mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'm very prone to overwhelm and I have found that the immensity of resources online and in books and so on has sometimes been more of a hindrance than help. But when I found this book, I was like, okay, I can have this all in one place and refer to it whenever I need. And then obviously the other resources are more on top. So the book that has really helped me when I started in UX was the user experience team of one. The thing I love about it, it's very well structured. It talks all about methodologies, all about what tools to use, when to use them, things like that. But more widely than that, it talks about stakeholder management when it comes to UX. Depending on like the design maturity of a company, you can have a very easy time implementing your UX improvements, or you can have a really difficult time doing that because not everyone knows the value of design in that company. And that book has really helped me when I was in the kind of latter environment. And yeah, I will just keep it at that because there's been a wealth of information already already shared. Seriously, like just the amount of resources and processes, like I, I feel like it's such a wealth, like we, we need to get a vault so we can just accumulate all these resources. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, so as always for longtime listeners, you'll know that I will always hype Jesse Showalter's YouTube. That that man is my everything. Definitely check it out. He not only teaches you practical UX skills, but also it's in a very lifestyle vlogger, YouTuber kind of way. So it's it's entertainment, but you're also learning skills. So it's just great. Lean UX, which is a book by Jeff Gothef and Joseph. Siden is a great book just to understand where UX fits, especially within Agile. So highly recommend that. And then another one that's definitely piqued your curiosity and just get you thinking about UX design as you go about your day is the Wireframe podcast by Adobe. They just, they pick such interesting things and I highly recommend it. It's a great one that is also entertainment and learning at the same time. And speaking of all the learning we've been doing today, Phil, thank you so much for all the insights. We've absolutely loved having you on the podcast. 
And for those of the listeners that can't get enough, where can they find you besides this podcast? Thanks, Lauren. It's been really good being here. And the best way probably to find me is on my website, which is philsayer.design. I'm also on LinkedIn, and so you can find me there as well. But my website's probably the best way to, to reach out to me. DMs are going to be on fire. Awesome. And a special shout out to Pip. Thank you so much for calling into Hotline Design Hotline. If you've got a question for us, you can reach out at anchor.fm slash hotline design pod. You can find us on Instagram at hotline design pod and Gmail hotline design pod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected. Please check the number and try your call again.